Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to the Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen. He says, well, the judgment will come, and harvest time is coming, and it won't be us. It will be the reapers. That's not us. It's not our job. It's not our responsibility. Why? Because God will read the hearts, and he will send his angels, and they will, in fact, will gather out all those things that offend, and then the glorious kingdom mentioned in, well, Revelation, among many other books, will begin. In a very important and relevant message that Pastor Sam entitled The Wheat and the Tares, Sam takes us through the study of three of Jesus' parables. The parable of the wheat and the tares, the parable of the mustard seed, and the parable of the leaven. Now this study helps show us that professed Christians who do not act like Christians is not a new thing or just some current trend. Uh, Jesus was addressing it 2,000 years ago and these parables are just as relevant today. Let's listen in. Matthew 13, picking up at verse 24, the title of our message, The Wheat and the Tares. You have to wonder what the world is wondering as they look on at the professing church, those who claim to be Christians, and yet you find people in the news convicted of molesting over 100 children. You find people in the news promoting and, and uh, exalting homosexuality. In fact, just yesterday, a leader from the Episcopal Church defending the denomination's decision to confirm the first openly gay bishop in a letter to the U.S. clergy defends his whole position saying, well, I wouldn't have done it if I didn't believe it was biblical. And I'm wondering even as a Christian, if no practicing homosexual will ever inherit the kingdom of God, how could they put someone in a position to lead other people People toward and to the kingdom. Well, if we're baffled by it, you have to know the world is baffled by it. And I'm talking about those people who don't consider themselves Christians in any means or fashion or form, but look at the church to try to figure out if Christian is something they should be or could be. Well, I don't know. There are so many things I noticed in the paper just a few weeks ago. They were advertising for a, a Christian nudist camp. And I was wondering, could such a thing actually exist? Not that I have any desire to actually see or find out for myself, but, but what kind of a Christianity is it that the world is seeing? And the answer to this whole dilemma is actually here in this parable of the wheat and the tares. And in the following parables, the mustard seed and the leaven, and what we get is sort of a uh, wheat and tares sandwich with mustard seed and leaven because we get the, the wheat and the tares, then those other parables, and then the explanation. And, and we may just take them as they come or we may try to lay a foundation with the first parable here. Well... It begins in verse 24, another parable he put forth to them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, the tares also appeared. And the servants of the owner came and said, sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? And he said to them, an enemy has done this. The servant said to him, do you want us then to go and gather them up? 
But he said, no less while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather together the tares, bind them into bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. Now, this is actually Jesus' explanation of that great dilemma. How can it be that so many professing Christians live such ungodly and unwholesome lives. Now, I know we all sin. We all fall short. We all need a savior. But when you read about people just committing such heinous and horrible and despicable crimes, and not one or two, but multiple crimes, multiple times, and they call themselves not just Christians, but Christian leaders. Well, you got to wonder. You just have to wonder. Well, the sower we find here goes out sowing good seed. An enemy comes along and sows the bad seed alongside the good seed. He mentions that it happens while men slept. Thus the exhortation later in one of the epistles to be vigilant and awake, alert, watching for the enemy of our souls. Satan goes about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He tells us that the good seed is sown, the bad seed is sown, and then these wheat and tares appear together in the same field. The sower's servants are confused. So they come to their master and they say, what's up with this? I thought you sowed good seed. And he says, this is the enemy's work. He's sown the tares among the wheat. They volunteer, as we just read, to go uproot the tares for their master. But, but here's the problem. In an attempt to uproot tares, some wheat might be uprooted as well. And I think that's why the Lord hasn't put us in the position of deciding who's a Christian or telling people they're going to hell. We simply proclaim that this is what it means to be a Christian. This is how someone becomes a Christian. And ultimately, unless a person does, well, hell is their ultimate destination. But we don't get to make the judgment call. And here's why. I honestly can't tell the difference between a backslidden Christian and somebody who's just all the way caught up in the world. There's no way for me to recognize the difference. The behavior looks the same. The attitudes look the same. And so all I can see is the outward appearance, the outward activity. But God looks on the heart. And he can see when somebody who really knows him and loves him has just gotten themselves in a mess and backslidden away from him. And he can tell the difference from the one who possesses real life in him or those who merely profess to possess such life. Well, he says, well, the judgment will come and harvest time is coming and it won't be us. It will be the reapers. That's not us. It's not our job. It's not our responsibility. Why? Because God will read the hearts and he will send his angels and they will, in fact, will gather out all those things that offend and then the glorious kingdom mentioned in, well, Revelation, among many other books, will begin. Jump down with me to his explanation of the tares and then we're going to go back and, and look at the mustard seed and the leaven. We, we really have to make sense of this first if we're going to make sense of the others. Jesus, verse 36, sent the multitudes away, went into the house, and his disciples came saying, explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. And he answered and said to them, He who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. The good seeds are the sons of the kingdom. But the tares are the sons 
of the wicked one. So thus far, what he says is, hey, he himself is sowing the good seed. Now, this is a little bit different than the first parable of Matthew 13, where the seed was actually just God's word being sown in the world. Now he says, those who've become believers in him, he literally sows us back out into the world, strategically planting us somewhere, if you will. And that's the picture you get from sowing seed. It's meant to take root and produce fruit. And I'd suggest to you that you have been strategically planted in the home in which you live, in the neighborhood in which you live, at the school you go to or the work you're doing, the job site you go to. God has placed you there so that he has a living witness of his life-transforming power. He has a living witness of what it means to be in Christ Jesus, forgiven every sin, transformed into people more like him. So the wheat are the sons of the kingdom, therefore the sons of the king. But the tares, he says, are the sons of the wicked one. The enemy, verse 39, who sowed them is the devil. The harvest, the end of the age, the reapers, the angels. Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of this age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, and those who practice lawlessness, and will cast them in the furnace of fire, and there will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of the Father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, Track with me on this for a moment. Satan, the devil, cannot create life physically, nor can he impart life spiritually. So what he's all about is producing counterfeits, fakes, frauds. And if you know anything about a counterfeit, you know it has to look very much like the real thing, or well, no one will buy into the counterfeit. In that classic work, Counterfeiting for Dummies, they point out that if you're going to counterfeit, the paper needs to be right, the color needs to be right. But I don't know if such a book exists. I imagine it's out there somewhere on the internet. Or will be after someone hears this. But the bottom line is, if you worked in a bank, or if you work in a bank, you know they, they don't give you counterfeit bills to try to recognize counterfeits. No, they have you handle the real thing regularly, day in and day out. And by the time you are out there taking people's money and depositing it for them, what happens is you're so familiar with the real thing that immediately when a counterfeit reaches your hand, you recognize it. That's why all the exhortation in scripture to study and show ourselves approved to be diligent students of God's word. So we know the truth. And when we see a counterfeit or we hear a counterfeit, we immediately recognize it as such. Well, the scripture warns us then that Satan, the devil, as he plants his tares, he is a counterfeiter. And the tares, as I already shared, look very much like the real thing. So much so that if we try to figure it out, well, we're going to end up making some serious mistakes. By the way, if you're one of those people prone to try to figure out who might be a tear in our midst, I want to discourage you from that and encourage you to this. The Bible wants me to examine my life and you to examine your lives. We're not really charged with examining one another's lives unless the activity is so blatant and ungodly that we're sort of forced to say, you know, Christians really can't or shouldn't. Oh, really? I didn't know that. And, you know, I found sometimes that's the case. 
I used to think, well, if people come to church, they should know what the Bible teaches. Well, the truth is many come to church to find out what the Bible teaches. Isn't that, in fact, why we're gathered together to study and learn more about the Lord through his word? And so don't take it for granted that just because someone's here, they know all of the things they shouldn't be doing or all of the things they should be doing. And if you see behavior that's absolutely aberrant or unbiblical or unscriptural, they say, hey, I've noticed you've been coming to Calvary. How long have you been coming? You know, are you a Christian? And once you establish that, then you say, well, you know, I, I wanted to show you something. I don't know if anybody ever pointed it out to you. And you just take them to the verse and lovingly and gently show them the thing that, that you see as a stumbling block that, that you know will, will, will be, in fact, that stumbling block. What about the counterfeits? Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 9, warns us that there is a counterfeit gospel. In fact, there are many counterfeit gospels. Listen to Paul's words. I marvel that you were turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel, if we preach any other gospel to you, then the one we already preached, let him be accursed. As we have said before, I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you received, let him be accursed. Now, false gospels include the gospel of humanism. The humanistic gospel says, if I'm a good person, if I do good works, ultimately God is going to accept me and I'm going to end up in heaven. But what does God say about that humanistic gospel? He says, there are none who do good. No, not one. And by the way, even if you did do good, that could never wipe out all the bad you've done. It'd be like robbing a bank, giving the money to the poor, sort of a modern day Robin Hood, you know? And you're like, well, Lord, but I, I, I know I robbed the bank. Yeah, okay, I'm guilty of that. But I had good intentions. I did it for good reasons. You think the courts will let you off? You think the Lord will let you off? No, God judges us righteously and the courts, well, they judge us justly. At least that's what you're hoping for. So that the humanistic gospel of good works, well, the Lord just says that's not going to get anyone to heaven. The legalistic gospel of live by the law, and some try to. I meet people and they say, well, I live by the Ten Commandments. And I'm saying, well, those things killed me. And they're like, what do you mean? Well, Paul himself said that he thought he was righteous until he read the commandment, thou shalt not covet. And he realized, man, I am a covetous man. I desire all sorts of things the Lord hasn't provided for me or blessed me with. And the law, he says, which he thought would impart life, actually, well, it brought death. The law brings death. By the, the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. That's God's testimony. So the gospel of humanism, good works, good person, falls flat. The gospel of legalism, live by the law, keep the Sermon on the Mount, it falls flat as well. And then there's the gospel of liberalism. And you need to know, because you'll meet people like this, they think they're free to sin instead of free from sin. That's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus died for our sins according to the scripture. He was buried. He rose again the third day according to the scripture. That's the Bible's good news, the Bible's gospel. That, that though we are sinners, Jesus died to save us from our sins. And not so we can sin, but so we can be free from sin. It's penalty, it's power, and at his coming, it's very presence. I have a question for you. Who preached, who preached another gospel, another testament 
to Joseph Smith. Do you know that's what he declares he has? Or, well, he doesn't say it anymore because he's dead now. But back when he claimed to have gotten it, he said an angel from heaven brought him another testament of Jesus Christ. That word testament means another gospel, another good news, another hope. But what does Paul say? Even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel, let him be accursed. So there are counterfeit gospels, and then there are counterfeit Christ. We're warned about this by Jesus himself. He says in Matthew 24, and we'll look at this in some depth at some point, Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. Many will come saying, I am. False Christ, false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. So Jesus warns us there will be false Christ. They'll preach a false gospel. They'll promote a false hope. And they'll present themselves as, some of them, as that Christ, that hope. Paul tells us in writing to the church in Thessalonica that the coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan. And he goes on to say, with all power, signs, and lying wonders, with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. The lawless one he speaks of is the Antichrist. He opposes Christ and puts himself in the place of Christ. Hey, that guy is coming. And when he does, multitudes will worship him as the Christ. False gospel, false Christ. Listen to what Paul tells the Corinthian believers. I fear lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he who comes preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached, or you receive a different spirit whom you've not received, or a different gospel which you've not accepted, you may well put up with it. Later in that same chapter, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, down around verse 13, he moves from false gospels and false Christ to false apostles. And he says, such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, Satan transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. Now, if there are false gospels and false Christ and false apostles, that explains to us what's happening with the wheat and the tares. Counterfeit gospels proclaiming a counterfeit Christ preached by counterfeit apostles produce counterfeit Christians. Those are the tares that Jesus is talking about. Those are the tares Jesus is warning us about. No wonder we're exhorted to make our calling an election, sure. Be sure you're in the faith. Why? Because I would think most people who go to church or even are caught up in a cult believe themselves to be the genuine article, the real thing. Of course, Jesus says many will come saying, Lord, Lord, didn't we? Talking of the wonderful things they did for him and in his name. What's his response? I never knew you. Who are those multitudes? Who are those people? They're the tares spoken of here, planted among the church, but not really a part of the church. Listening, joining in, having an experience, but never really experiencing him. 
Now, we know that this happens because Jesus chose 12 to be with him. And one of those 12, he later tells us, was the son of perdition. Not a son of the kingdom, not a son of the king, not a son that fell away or changed fathers, if such a thing is possible in that realm. No, he says a son of perdition. Judas never belonged to the Lord. And he was in good company. And so be careful. Be sure. Don't be one that thinks, well, I go to church. I must be saved. I I sing the songs. I must be worshiping. It's possible to come and to sing and to study and, and yet never really be converted. Make sure that doesn't happen to you. Make sure that doesn't happen to those you love. Well, that brings us then to the spread part of this sandwich there in verse 31. He says another parable he put forth to them saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all the seeds. But when it is grown, it is greater than the herbs and becomes a tree. So the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. Another parable, and we might as well look at these two together. He spoke to them. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till it was all leavened. And all these things Jesus spoke to the multitudes in parables. Without a parable, we're told, he did not speak to them that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things which have been kept secret from the foundation of the world. The parable of the mustard seed. Two basic schools of interpretation. Danny Lehman and I talked about this at some length because he works for a missions organization. And missions often see this and interpret this as being the ultimate spread of the good word of God, the good news of God, the gospel of God into the whole world. They see the mustard seed as that seed that starts so small and then gradually becomes large enough that everyone can find a place and fit in. The leaven likewise then becomes the gospel that permeates and penetrates till it fills the whole world. And I want to say I have no problem with an understanding that God's word can and will ultimately spread to the whole world. Happened in the first century, it'll happen again in the 21st century. But the real question is, Are these parables teaching us that the gospel is going to get out or do we look elsewhere for that and get other insight from this? The school of interpretation that I'm more comfortable with here would see this mustard seeds growth as unnatural, larger outwardly than God intended. If in fact that's the picture he's giving us, and I believe it is, that that just like the parable of the sower, Lots of seed being sown with various results, just like the parable of the wheat and the tares. The church growing, but, well, it's growing larger outwardly than it is growing inwardly. Why? Because anybody can go to church. But in order to be a part of the church, you must be born again. You must be born of the Spirit of God. That's His testimony, Jesus' testimony. Now, if in fact... This is picturing an abnormal growth of the church. Well, we can see that in church history. And those who look on at the church and talk about the crusades and the horrible things that happened in them, all of the bizarre things that Christians have done over the ages, listen, Jesus wasn't responsible for any of that. That's the answer to, well, what about all those abominations? You're right, they happened. But Jesus isn't responsible for them. That was people claiming to represent him They were doing their own thing. In fact, they were doing things unbiblical in many instances and situations. So 
The church, outwardly, like the kingdom outwardly, filled with believers and unbelievers. That being the case, the birds here, as they were in the parable of the sower, would represent evil in the church. Now we'll see that certainly when he uses the term leaven, we're going to see that he uses it in that way, well, throughout the Old and New Testament. But, but here the picture is, the birds, and if the birds were evil in the parable of the sower, I'm sort of sticking with that in this parable and saying, well, now there's evil influence within the church. Not just the tares, but the enemy himself infiltrating doctrinally and, and otherwise. Well, this view then is consistent with the first parables, and we find many, most, in fact, for one reason or another, either falling away or turning out to be counterfeits. This is such an important message for me. Over the years, I have had so many non-believers deny Christ and then tell me it's the church's fault, saying that we are hypocrites. Now, do they honestly believe that, or are they just making excuses because they don't want to submit to Jesus? I don't know. I cannot read their hearts like the Lord can. But I can say this. Their salvation has nothing to do with me or anything I've ever done, or the church, or anything the church has ever done. It's all between them and Jesus Christ. And lots of people over the years have bungled that up, but that is not a good excuse for them to do the same thing. Paul said that we preach Christ crucified because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. The Calvary Road is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Chico and you can visit our website ccchico.com or download the CC Chico app to contact us and listen to other studies from Pastor Sam. You can also listen to The Calvary Road as a daily podcast by visiting thecalvaryroad.com. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, may you find grace and peace as your journey takes you down the Calvary Road. And your grace.